Listener Production. Automotive commentator and journalist Greg Rust, and this is Rusty's Garage. I'm in South Australia for this episode at the Adelaide 500, but my guest isn't a supercars driver. Matt Mingay is a record-breaking stunt rider who puts on a heck of a show. He came to the attention of movie makers and has worked on some major Hollywood and Bollywood productions, playing doubles for big-name actors. As you'll hear, his speech is a little impaired. That's the result of a massive race crash in Detroit in 2016 that almost killed him. This weekend, after passing rigorous medical tests, he's back competing in a stadium super truck. This is a remarkable story of someone who was obsessed with bikes and unconventional riding from a very young age and never gave up. Yeah, absolutely. I got my first mini bike when I was seven years old. What was it? Uh, a little, uh, little Dexon for a little while, for like a, two weeks, then I got an XR75. And I got a good progress from there, RM80, RM125, YZ80, it just goes on and on and on. And um, the, my real interest in motorcycles was um, I got my learner's permit and I got a little CB100. And I used to wheel selling that absolutely everywhere. <laughs> and um, when I was 18, I got nine kilometres wheel stand and I was 18. On the you highway. did a wheel stand for nine k's? <laughs> yeah, when I was 18. <laughs> and I, I got the reason why I put the wheel down because I pulled it up by the cops. <laughs> <laughs> so I was going, I was wheel selling down the highway and people going past me, beeping the horn and yelling out, yeah, how good's that? And a guy pulled up beside me and ignored him and they put their lights on and sirens on. And I said, well, there's coppers, they pulled me over and they booked me. Crazy. Did you keep any of those? Because you've got a little bit of a collection of things now. Did you keep any of those bikes from the early years at all? I wish I did. I really wish I, I, wish I kept that one especially because that was what I learned how to do wheel stands on. And uh, I won my first wheel stand competition on that bike when I was 20 years old. Everyone was wheel stand down Lakeside Straight and I wheel stand down Lakeside Straight around the corners. <laughs> That's amazing. Did that, that sense of balance and, and the technique required to do that, did that come easy to you? Were there... How many falls were there in learning that sort of stuff? Not at all. People, people will say to me, I'm so natural, and I'll put it down to, to practice. Honestly, God, people don't practice enough. They'll never get any better if they don't practice. And the amount of times I just practice was just day in, day out, just constant practice. And when I when I started songwriting, there was no one else to, to, to watch. I've been doing it for 23 years. It wasn't DVDs, it was VHS and... There was no one in Australia at all doing some writing, so I learned a hell of a lot by trial and error. Usually way too much error. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's why I break a hell of a lot of bones doing what I do, so, yeah. Amazing. So the whole notion of of I mean, stunt riding and things like that, it, it, it clearly was what you wanted to do. I mean, were you at school? Were you sort of parking the schoolwork and focusing on this kind of thing? What were you like? Oh, absolutely. Like, Eva Knievel was my biggest hero. That's why I got a tattoo of Evil Knievel with autograph on my arm. My little boy's name is Max Evil, after Evil Knievel. I loved Evil Knievel. I, I, I wanted to be a stuntman since I was a kid. And I got the opportunity to be a stunt rider. And I took it, I grabbed it with both horns, just took it as far as I could. 
Amazing. So, from that incident on the on the highway to progressing to to becoming professional, what was that path? What sort of jobs did you do in between time? Because I, I would imagine you still had to keep you know keep the practice up. But were you making ends meet in other ways? How were you doing it? Yes, yeah, so I was a, I was a motorbike mechanic, a bike mechanic, and um, I got I got hired. Um, I, I won the Wilson competition. I beat Rob Boulder in the Wilson competition at the time as a European champion. And um, I I got quite a few picked up quite a few shows up, and my boss wouldn't even time off work, so I threw a towel in. And um, that was twenty three years ago. I've never had a job ever since. And so the first few few years were pretty rough. Only show here and there, here and there, make ends meet. But um, my biggest break was uh, about three years into it. I got a job as Tom Cruise's Stuntable in Mission Impossible 2. And uh, that was the biggest break I've ever had. Uh, Working for nine weeks, seven weeks, um, three weeks aside with Tom Cruise himself. And um, yeah, it was a big move, big break. And after that, every single person wanted to have Tom Cruise's Stuntable at their event. I reckon that's the first time you and I came across each other. I think they filmed that in Sydney largely, didn't yeah. they? What were the bikes that you were on then? Were they MV Augustus? What were you riding? No, they were Triumphs. So I got, I got a job. I got a, apparently nine people applied for the job. I was at Eastern Creek Raceway. So they flew me down for it and um, I was late to it because I had to fly in and they're all practicing on the front straight uh, doing horrible little wheel stands and, and so I hopped on this Triumph and did massive wheel stands, stoppies, donuts and I skied behind the bike. And Tom was there, and he said, "Oh, he got a job." So I got a job straight away, and uh, over a, 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 a quite a few annoyed people, <laughs> I got a job. So it was pretty good. Very good. When you do that stuff, how much of it is seat of the pants, Matt Mingay experience, and how much of it is science and engineering, understanding the bike, understanding the stunt location, and what you have to do within a within a certain area or space, for example? Yeah, none of that. So it's all just all just wing it. <laughs> Experience, <laughs> yeah. Like I said before, a lot of us practicing and winging it. Um, I've had some mighty big crashes in my last day. My last accident in Detroit marks forty-seven broken bones I've had. Do what I do. So yeah, I've had a few. <laughs> and like I said, when I first started, there was no one else to, to, to ask how to do it. Now there's books and magazines and DVDs and Facebook, for example. There wasn't that when I started. So. I just I do it and hope for the best. Was that movie experience a bit surreal for a young bloke? A Tom Cruise, I mean, <laughs> A-list celebrity, a franchise in in uh, Mission Impossible that's gone on to do some amazing things, and here you are as the double for the great man. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember at one stage I was sitting and dressed exactly the same, had a fake wig on, makeup, all all the because all all the bike stars were shot with a helmet on. So I looked exactly like Tom was sitting on two deck chairs side by side for about an hour because there was a, prob- a problem with the set and I was thinking to myself, I'm doing pretty good. I'm sitting beside Tom Cruise. <laughs> we were chatting and yelling about bikes and oh, that was pretty good. It was pretty surreal. Very. What things did you... Obviously, you'd worked in the in the bike shop. You knew and, and loved the mechanical aspect of it. So when you're in that scenario, do you go, OK, we, we need to, you know, trim this, make this, change this? What things would you like on the bike to personalise it so you can 
move it around and 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 do those stunts you know because when they roll when they roll film mate it's it's expensive yeah. isn't it you've got to try and execute you know in, in as limited amount of takes as possible yeah absolutely absolutely i had to change with the bike quite a lot and quite do, do do quite a few things to do it and i was only allowed to change things on the bike that couldn't no you couldn't pick it up yeah. no one could see it so in that case, it was, it was very hard to do it. I couldn't change gearing too much. Changed gear, gearing a little tiny bit, and tire pressures, and tires, and handlebars, and you know. So I was, I was a bit, a bit stuck on a few areas, but I still managed to do it. Do they come to you and say, "Okay, shoot location is this. We'd roughly like you to do these moves, whatever it might be." But then, like a, a comedian, are there are there moments where you? you freewheel or go off script or try other things that you think might work or look even more spectacular? Oh, funny you mention that because since Mission Boss I've done uh, I've done something like 10 or 12 films and commercials and stuff and the funniest one I've ever worked on is Indian films. Bollywood? Bollywood. Yeah. I've had I've done about four Bollywood fil- films and the biggest one the funniest one my very first one I went over to India to do it and um, the the director said, "What do we want you to do next? Is get on the as a D six R six hundred. Get on the stunt bike because it's not It wasn't stunt bike. It was a bulk stock bike. And jump over the helicopter. And when you're jumping over the helicopter, we're going to pull your jacket off and throw it in the blades. I'm like." Come again? I, I didn't quite get one. Are you serious? What, you can do that? You're a stuntman? No. <laughs> I was like, I, could have, I thought it was joking. I was looking around thinking, is he taking a piss or what? You know? So did you draw the line there or did you oh, execute? Of course I did. Yeah, yeah. I've never jumped a bike in my life. If it was as alone, taking a jacket off and throwing it in the blades or a spinning helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe it. It's a... He was kind of taken back by that. He turned around and spoke in his language. And God knows what he said to the other person. But, um, yeah, it was kind of eye I, opener I, for me. Bollywood is still a big deal, mate, isn't it? Bollywood's huge. Bollywood, people don't understand. Bollywood's the biggest film industry in the world is Bollywood. And it overtakes Hollywood by a mile, by a long shot. It's huge. So how much did the Mission Impossible experience help you from a, a career standpoint? I mean, it, it's... I would imagine there's probably an element of privacy. You probably couldn't talk about everything in relation to Tom or whatever, but still to have that on the CV and walk into different things and say, okay, I was stunt double for Tom Cruise, that's in stunt terms... That's a big ticket, isn't it? Yeah, it was, it was. But the biggest thing was trying to convince people that I was telling the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God. Uh, the funny thing was that I was Tom Cruise's stunt double was about a, a month to and I was single. I remember going to a nightclub and saying to a girl, <laughs> I'm Tom Cruise's stunt double. And they yeah, whatever, buddy. I thought to myself, that is the stupidest thing to say ever. <laughs> and uh, but, but quite a lot of promoters, um, big promoters, take it on board and... Um, and it did. It, it certainly advanced my career big time. Every single event in Australia, why I wanted Tom Cruise to double at their event. So it certainly broadened my by my event list somewhat. That's for sure. Clearly, it's adrenaline fueled for you in in that sense. We'll get to some of the crashes soon, <laughs> but when you can pull off some of those moves, uh, how rewarding is that? How how many moments have there been where you get the heart flutter because you know it was. It was pretty close to going to custard. Oh, mate, absolutely. I mean, the hardest thing in the whole world is because oh, I practice so much. Most time I was practicing by myself. And so quite often I'd break an ankle or break a leg and break an arm. And I had to quickly, as fast as I could, get myself here, chuck it in the van or the ute and get out of there because pain sets in about an hour later. It sets in the hardest. So the sooner I get to the hospital, the faster. 
and so I remember breaking an ankle and I was by myself in the middle of a, was all, I was just practicing at Old Brisbane Airport and I was by myself no one around to be seen I had just broke an ankle and as quick as I could rode the bike in the back of a van and tied the bike down and jumped in it was a manual it was my left ankle and I just, used to try and use a clutch so that was pretty pretty hard. That was pretty hard. A very hard moment. You've alluded to a little bit of, of you know life there. So what was the van? Where were you living? And and, and you know the, I would was it tough making ends meet in, in some of those early days? Absolutely. I was on the bones of my ass. I was I was a Dodge Ohio's van. And uh, as a G six R eleven hundred ninety two model, yeah. Stand, uh, standard high ace van. What was it? Yeah, box socks, uh, five on the tree. <laughs> it was it was a little gem. <laughs> And um, yeah, I said, I borrowed mom, money off mum to support my fuel to get to an event and quite often sleep in the back of the van. Crazy. And um, yeah, I was just uh, things I had to do. People don't think, think of it these days, but it's what you got to do. Lots of bike guys end up with those those high aces or vans because yeah. they're quite handy for that sort of stuff. What were the conversations like with mum? Was she oh. okay about you doing Never. this? Never. Never. <laughs> no, mum and dad hated I was... Back in the CB hundred days, I was wagging school one day in grade in grade twelve. I was wagging school. And I went through a roundabout and got run by a cement truck. Oh! And I had a massive big compound fracture in my left leg. Um, uh, broke the helmet shape, broke a rib, um, fractured my skull, and I thought I was dead. And I put a blanket over me because I was knocked out. And it wasn't until the, the petrol was melting my leg because the petrol burst. And it wasn't on fire, it was just melting my leg. And I came to, and I, I, my left toe was virtually going up my butthole because my bone was hanging out my leg. Oh. And uh, um, that was great, 12. So I was three weeks in the hospital for that. And kind of from that moment on, mum and dad said, Right, that's it. Never ever let her have a motorbike ever again. And it wasn't until about three or four, three years later, I said, I'm going to get a snowman. <laughs> and you, you can imagine how that went down. <laughs> I think my father didn't talk to me for about, oh, about six months, didn't talk to me. And it wasn't until uh, about a year later, two years later, I got a job as Tom Cruise's stunt double, Mission Impossible. And um, mum was wrapped one day because he heard dad bragging to some friends his son's Tom Cruise's stunt double. So that was a very big moment for me. Very big, big moment. Fantastic. Is it about the power of the motorcycle or is, is that not important? It's the way you, you use it. I mean, there's some, some unbelievable bikes in the marketplace nowadays and I'm sure there's all kinds you've ridden over time. But is it about what you do to the bike, how you modify it, and, and is power on tap not necessarily the key ingredient? Yeah, absolutely not. People, when I started sun riding, it was all 1,100ccs. Yeah. Um, with most horsepower you can get now, it's all slowed right down. People are sun riding 600s and 400ccs. Uh, it's by no means is it power. My Harley has been, been riding my Harley for 10 years, and it's like 80 horsepower. Um, people think it's a oh my god it's a hard day it's a, no realise it's only got 80 horsepower which most bikes have got 100 120 140 horsepower so it makes a big difference but yeah it's all about all about balance and how you ride it as simple as that The Matrix Reloaded weaving in and out of traffic motorbike chase scene is the most expensive stunt with a motorbike. A fake highway was built on an abandoned naval base. It took three months to shoot, crashed 300 cars. The cost, $127 million. 
since I first came across you, not long after the, the Tom Cruise stuff, we've crossed paths on regular occasions with the Supercars Championship because Stunts Inc. and some of the things that you've been doing in between the sessions, you do these shows for the fans, both two and four wheel, mm-hmm. get to the cars soon. But the the two wheel shows, are you kind, of, you kind of always change it up. And some of the moves you were talking about, you know, skiing off the back of it or whatever it was, I mean, there's some amazing moves, mate. Yeah, that's right. Well, I always try, always try and advance um, and come up with new tricks. The good thing about Europe and America, they, they're always advancing new tricks and you see, see some tricks and you go, wow, how'd you do that? And so it's a matter of trying to figure out how to do that trick. Um, but yeah, it's always, always progressing. I've slowed down quite a bit lately because of my injury. Yeah. I still sun ride, but I, I, I tame it all back a little bit just because I want to stay one piece. Because yeah. between you and me, I'm sick of breaking bones. Yeah. <laughs> what did you say the tally was before? 47. 47. And, um, you know, the big crash is at, at Belle Isle in Detroit, yeah. which we'll get to in, in 2016, because that's, that's been a... Um, a massive thing for you that you've come back from, mate. It's an incredible story. Most people, if they're into bikes, throw a leg over the seat, get on it, and they go and ride. You know, it might be a nice country ride somewhere or riding, commuting to work. But for you, you could end up sitting on the handlebars. <laughs> you could end up standing on that seat. There's all sorts of things, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, I know. It's so, so funny because I try and behave myself and I go for a normal ride. <laughs> But I got a gang of people. They don't, don't, don't ask me so much anymore. But they used to ask me all the time. Oh, come for a ride with me, Mingo. Come for a ride with me, because I know when we go for a ride, I'm a complete dickhead on a motorbike, <laughs> just doing wheelies everywhere, sitting on wheelies, sitting on a handlebar doing wheelie, no handle wheelies, scraping the tail on the ground. You know, I'm trying to trying to impress, trying to show off, mainly to show off. When you were hanging off the back for the first time, and you are kind of skiing behind it, how the hell do you? prep for that how do you I mean where do you train for that yeah no it was a tough one so I made some alloy shoes with big titanium plates on to make the sparks and I was um, I think the first one did did behind a car a a van a high stand (laughs) so you call up a mate or something yeah you got a mate to drive (laughs) see how much um, friction the skis have and I realised I was quite super easy. so the next thing was just jump, jump off the back of the bike so after about four runs I, I, I bugger it yeah. and just jump straight off the back and um, I managed to jump back on again and I was a big fist pump in the air and the uh, fastest I ever did was 245 k's an hour jump off the back skiing and the record was oh, yeah, say that again 240 k's 245 k's an hour and the record was held by Gary Rothwell at 265 so I, I always wanted to break it but I never bike fast enough <laughs> Have you broken other records? What about other records in the back? Yeah, I've, break, I've broken a few records. Um, I've broken, I've passed a stoppy world record. We're rolling on the front wheel at 217, so 212 kilometres an hour. And someone beat me at 215 kilometres an hour, but two years later, so I broke it again, 217 kilometres an hour. And people don't, people don't realise that 217 kilometres an hour, you have to jam the front brakes on, and so you, by the time the back wheel comes off the ground, you wash off about 10 or 15 k's. So you jam the front brakes at 30 k's an hour to get 217. That is wild. A stoppy at 200 plus kilometres yeah, an hour. It's not fun. People must say, mate, are you mad? <laughs> no, I was just. <laughs> yeah, I've had that a few times. But yeah, other ones, um, uh, uh, fastest wheel sand. So I did a fastest wheel sand at 245 kilometres an hour for one kilometre. Where'd you do that? 
I did an old airstrip down um, past Sydney um, for Guinness World Records. Guinness World Records hardest for a TV show. Fantastic. So we did that was my only official Guinness World Records. Fastest wheel stand. Fastest wheel stand for one kilometre. And um, and then I broke the world. <laughs> I broke the world record for longest wheel stand on Harley Davidson at fifty four kilometres. Say that again. <laughs> so I broke a world record for the longest wheel stand on a Harley Davidson. It was about 54 kilometres. <laughs> Where did you do this and how long did it take? Now, only reason, only reason it's not official because um, you can't get registered on Guinness World Records because they can't register a, a name of a motorcycle brand. Okay, okay. So the world record for doing longest wheel stand on a motorcycle is something like 200 kilometres. Yep. So I did on a scooter around in a velodrome. Okay. And got refueled while I was doing wheel stand. <laughs> I know, stupid, I know. Uh, so I, I've, it wasn't official, but I've never haven't had, had anyone say they've been beaten, proven they beat me for yeah. 54Ks. And the only reason I put it down because I ran out of fuel. Amazing. Yeah, because cause the, the petrol pickup was halfway along the tank, so I wanted to buy its vertical, yes. only half tank of fuel. Okay. <laughs> Crazy, mate. So when you come to a, a, an event like Supercars and the many other shows that you do around the country for for that matter, you, you for your client and for you personally, you want to put on a good show. Absolutely. Has it ever gone to custard? Absolutely. Like, I, like I get annoyed quite often because I turn up to an event and I say, oh, I've only got two shows today. I, I, I try, to try to get four. And, just, and they go, oh, and I go, what? What are you winning for? You I only want you to do two shows. But my, my main thing I'm trying to do is build my fan base. Yes. Always trying to keep my fans happy. Always trying to keep them impressed and want them to come back for more. So the more shows we have, the better. You know, it's always a way. Yeah, and you have, over time, mate, built quite a quite an army, quite a social media following. What what, what are the numbers now? Yeah, my my Facebook is one point two million. Um, my Instagram is not very big. It's only with thirty five, thirty eight thousand people. But um, yeah, so uh, for many years, I don't know if I'm still a mo, but I was the most followed motorsport athlete in Australia. Crazy. Over 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 Chad Reed and the likes of overall Formula One drivers, everyone. When did the idea of of adding four wheel start to kick off? Was it to do with the with with the injuries, and you felt like you know I'm going to need to merge into something else here? Not at all. We um, I was oh, far out. I can't remember. Now. It was like 2003, 2004. We um, I was with Bolger, Roy Bolger, as you probably know him too yeah. well. Yeah. <laughs> um, he made a, a high highest van, nothing highest van for the um, Commodore V8 in it. <laughs> big van, in it. and we did a big, big burnout at Bathurst. Big burnout. What the hell? They would have shoehorned that in, did you? In an engineering. Yeah, sense. it was pretty funny. So we did big burnouts and pop tires at Bathurst. So the crowd thought it was great. So it was the very next weekend. Holden came to us and said, "Do you want two years?" I said, what? Come again? So, do you want to use to do your show in? Like SSUs or something? Yeah, SSUs. Yeah, SSUs. Um, the VU, I think it was back then. And we gone like, we thought we'd take the piss again. I thought, oh, yeah, okay. And sure enough, about two weeks later, two brand new youths turned up on a doorstep. And we thought, get the hell out of here. No way. So, as you can imagine, we'll hit the streets for the next week. <laughs> Just wrecking these things. <laughs> And, uh, and they kind of blossomed from there. We're the first people in Australia to start drifting, and um, we've been drifting ever since. Mega. So what sort of things did you think you would need to, in the same way that a race team um, you know, builds a roll cage or does things like what sort of things did you think you would need to add in an engineering sense to, to the cars for the shows you wanted to, to do? 
Oh, some things before. We're the first people in Australia doing it, so um, it was very much trial and error. We, we we knew we knew the basics: make it lock diff and suspension and exhaust, make it more powerful, etc., etc. Um, but things just progressed from there. Things started breaking, so we'd fix them and make it stronger, better, and faster, and more reliable, and just and it just pro- progressed from there. And it's an old school, you know, a paddock fun type stuff in the sense that you you. You're on the handbrake, and you, you, you. I mean, you talked about drifting before. I guess yeah. it really is is sort of that on steroids in some ways, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Well, like our, our our history comes from way back. Paddock bash, like you said, you've um, been a crazy man muck around in grass paddocks, and it kind of blossomed from, from there. Yeah. And um, yeah, we put hydraulic handbrakes in them, do handbrake turns and three sixties, and slide in corners and. And um, the faster and more crazy stuff we do, the more the crowd love it. Um, and sure enough, we've hit plenty of our walls and hit each other plenty of times. And and we just take part and parcel. We know we know it's going to happen. We know that's what the crowd want to see. So we keep doing it. Uh, Mad Mike told me in the in the podcast series about the the speeds now that they can they can tip these things in backwards and and slide them. I mean, what they're doing with with tyre technology and, and, and car control is remarkable in drifting now, isn't it? Absolutely. Mad Mike's great what he does. And, uh, and progression is a crazy thing. Like I said, we, we start with a couple of V, e, v, v, well, v U, Utes. Yep. We put exhausts and run a cam in them. Yep. And something like 400 horsepower with the most powerful things in the world. Yep. My car, my drift car now is a, a Chevy Camaro with a NASCAR engine in it. And it runs an Albans transaxle rear end. So it's the only drift car in the world that runs a transaxle rear end. <sighs> so it's got 850 horsepower. Um, and it's crazy bit of gear. It's absolutely off his head. So uh, exactly what Mike said, the entry speed to a corner is about triple what it used to. Um, like things like I got clocked um, at Bathurst. Uh, so I don't know about this. Phillip Island, round turn two. And um, I was doing 240Ks down sideways. <laughs> so I was, it was pretty impressive. Amazing. NASCAR engine came from where? Obviously it's a Chev. Yeah, when I was going, it came from um, uh, the Kellys. Kellys, yeah. I, I was desperately searching for one, um, and Todd said, oh, "Yeah, I've got one." And so he was changing his his NASCAR engines over to um, Nissan engines for his boats. He had two NASCAR engines for sale, so he's been he's been great. He's been such a good help. If, if anything ever stops up, he's the first one to give a hand to help fix it, and it's really good. Matt's talking about uh, Todd Kelly there and the Kelly Racing Team. Rick Kelly obviously has been a, a Bathurst winner and a, yeah. and a Supercars champion. So, and you know we, we're sharing the, the paddock with him as we, we record this here. Let's talk about Belleau, Detroit. <laughs> 2016. Can't you can't. You can't remember. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. You can't. Nah. You, you, it was a, yeah. As you, as you said, it's it definitely my worst accident to date uh, by a long, long shot. Um, I was over there for th- for I suppose for for a weekend. It's been three and a half weeks there. I don't. I remember touching down on Belle Isle and I remember coming home to the Gold Coast. So I been a week in hospital in the Gold Coast. So I remember. Um, in between that, I was a pretty much a vegetable because oh, of my, my brain injury um, and oh, the, my list of injuries went on. I broke my neck, um, I bark came through and sh- through my chin um, and took out my whole bottom jaw, took out nine teeth of mine, um, I had, I had all fluid on my lungs, had uh, what do they call a tracheotomy, tracheotomy through my neck so I could breathe. 
yeah, I was a pretty bad way. I got footage. My my wife was there by my side the whole time, and um, my my wife, my jaw was wide shut because I had no jaw. Um, and them just trying to talk to me. I was a, a zombie. I was a vegetable. So, in a bad way. In a bad way. Um, how close did it come? In in motor racing, they use the term DNF, mate. You you did not yeah. finish. You're gone. You 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 know. Um, how close did it come to you leaving? Yeah, it was, it was pretty close. Um, I had, I had, I had yesterday actually through the, my good friends at SSE, uh, the SST gang, are the, the and drivers are the best gang I've ever met. They're mm-hmm. so good. But um, apparently, um, I was, I can't remember anything, but I get told this. Um, the ambulance picked me up from the track. The whole race was cancelled, stopped because of the ambulance was picking me up from the track. And it was the ambulance was going down the front straight. I had to pull up, and people didn't know why I was pulling up on the front straight of Detroit. And I was pulled up for about five minutes, and then left it again. And apparently they pulled up because they resuscitated me and got back to life. Yeah, so it was, it was close on. So you're talking there a moment ago about um, SST Stadium yep. Super Truck guys. That's what you were competing in yep. there. Um, they're an amazing machine for all sorts of different reasons. Yep. Have you been able to look back at it and comprehend what went wrong now, or do, you, or do you try not to? No, no absolutely. It's something where um, I feel sorry for people like Robert Gordon because people yeah. may think there's the, the, the trucks that will cause my injury, and it was far, far, far from the trucks. Mm-hmm. It was um, the terrible, terrible way the track was put together. Okay. Every concrete pillar around a street track, such as, such as Adelaide, yes. and Gold Coast, every, every street track, has got a big concrete blocks and held together with a massive big steel pin mm-hmm. that makes them join. Yep. There was no steel pins. So when I came around the corner and I rolled it on my roof, hit the concrete barrier, it moved the barrier. So I moved that barrier and the next barrier was the guillotine. So it sliced the whole roof of the truck and sliced my head off with it. Crikey. So, yeah, so we went through massive big um, inquiry, inquiry why, 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 why. And got no answers, so we got nowhere with it. So at the time, you end up in hospital in the States. How was that side to deal with? And and is it true? I think, did, did you end up coming back on, like, Roger Penske's private jet or something? How did you get back? Yeah, uh, Roger Penske was great. I mean, I might have been a bit of a guilt trip, but mm-hmm. it was great help. Mm-hmm. Um, he gave me a private jet from Detroit to LA. and mm-hmm. uh, flew myself and my wife and my brother and uh, two doctors with me to make sure I could fly all right. Mm-hmm. And when I got to LA, I had a um, private suite and and they put me in first class and, and fl- flew me home. They, uh, to be honest, they should not have flown me home because when I arrived in on the Gold Coast, um, I was in the hospital again for like six weeks and they kind of let me out. Before they let me out, they thought, oh, we'll give you an MRI scan on your brain. And they gave me a skin of brain, and half my brain was blood. So they quickly raced me in for emergency brain surgery, and I drained all the blood in my brain. And I was in hospital for 13 weeks in total. So in in flying back then with the brain like that, that was a, yeah. another massive risk, was it? Yeah, absolutely. I could have died on the plane because you know, you had a brain injury, you shouldn't fly. Um, at the time, they didn't realise I had a brain injury because I didn't, didn't do an MRI in my head. Um, But yeah, because of all the blood on my brain, could have died instantly. That's the end of lap one of my chat with Matt Mingay. Make sure you check out part two as we get deeper into the crash that almost killed him. The incredible comeback, 
why he never lost the fear of going fast and pushing the boundaries. Rusty's Garage is written and presented by me, Greg Rust. Series producer and editor is Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.